Welcome to the December 2008 podcast of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean. How are you? I'm doing good, Matt. Good. Are uh, you doing good? I'm doing very well, thank you, you. You ready to do a podcast? I am ready to do a podcast. <laughs> Well, uh, we are here this month. We want to start this month off uh, with a, a series of podcasts that we're, we will follow up on uh, the next couple months, and those are on the relationship between the gospel and the ordinary means of grace. I was telling Matt earlier, I just had a conversation this morning in which a friend of mine had gone into a church and uh, had observed some uh, rituals, some religi- religious rituals in that church uh, that struck him as being legalistic. And he had asked me about that. And uh, the interesting thing was that the things that were happening in this church were, were good things. Uh, they were things like scripture being memorized, uh, women showing deference to their husbands through the wearing of, uh, of head coverings and things like that. And, uh, but my friend asked me, he said, does this, uh, how, how do we relate this to the gospel? How do we relate this? Uh, how do we deal with these forms of legalism? I know they're good, but, uh, I also know that Galatians tells me that there is, uh, I don't want to be under law. You know, I want to be controlled by the Spirit. And I think really when he asked me that question is where he he hit the nail on the head as to the real issue. Because the issue isn't uh, if you do this thing, you're being legalistic. It's when you do this thing with a wrong motivation, you're being legalistic. Uh, Wouldn't you agree, Matt? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm incessantly, we've probably talked about this before in the podcast, but not recently, I'm incessantly teaching people that dynamic that's in the Heidelberg Catechism, guilt, grace, gratitude, and then Jeff Thomas, Reformed Baptist in Great Britain, I think helpfully adds goodness, that if we want to do goodness, including prayer and Bible reading, and as well as expressing the fruit of the Spirit, or good works, or whatever, if we want to do goodness, that lies at the end of a biblical chain, that begins with my guilt, that's relieved by the grace of God, for which I'm thankful when I say, would you enable me to do the good that you call me to? And we're forever mistaking that. We're forever putting things in the wrong order. And it doesn't work unless we we keep it in God's order, which is guilt, grace, gratitude, goodness. That brings us then to, uh, to this issue of the ordinary means. Now, we've got a podcast called Ordinary Means, and we... Con- conveniently enough for the topic today. <laughs> <laughs> conveniently enough. And, um, and everybody keeps wondering when we're going to run out of topics uh, related to the Ordinary Means. I don't think we ever will. Do you? Sean and I are such good friends. We want to talk every month anyway. So if yeah. you guys want to listen to us, great. We're yeah. appreciative of it. It works. Uh, the, the Ordinary Means, of course, is a reference to the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Catechisms. They use that phrase... As a uh, as a summary of three things: uh, the preaching of the word, uh, the reception of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and uh, the act of prayer. That these three things are the ordinary ways that God works in us His salvation. And uh, so, really, what this podcast is about is how does God save us, uh, which is and something that. By it. 
Yeah. yeah. Something we as Christians can, could talk about until, gosh, we're going to be talking about this uh, through eternity, I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we definitely will not be running short on podcast material. Uh, but the the question, though, related to the gospel, related to legalism, is when you talk about hearing the preaching of the word, going to church, uh, sitting down, listening to a sermon. Um, when you talk about receiving the sacraments, uh, you know, with the Lord's Supper, uh, it, it may be week after week, month after month, as often as you do it. Uh, we talk about prayer. Uh, I hope, I, I pray, that you are kneeling in prayer before the Lord daily, uh, even multiple times daily, even continually daily. But you notice that each of those things is something that we do. And so each of those things could be uh, done from a wrong motivation, uh, like the Israelites in the Old Testament. Uh, you might be coming to those things with with a heart that says, well, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, and so God's going to accept me. I've, I've tried hard to be pretty good. And, you know, the They're really good things to get right with God. They, yeah. These are the things that, that will make me right with God, because they're things he's given me. Oh, yeah, they're, they're really, really good. Oh, yeah. But we can, we can be sinning by doing very, very good things if, if our motivation is not the glory of God. Mm-hmm. If, the, if our motivation is uh, me, if our motivation is selfish, if my motivation in coming to church is so that uh, God will accept me, then we're actually coming with a wrong motivation, and going to church in that case may be sin. Now, am I going to suggest you stop going to church? No, I'm going to suggest you get your heart right. Um, but because the ordinary means are something that we do, how do we keep the relationship uh, strong between the ordinary means of grace? Notice that little phrase on the end there. And the gospel. And recently, I was asked to speak at a um, at a retreat of men, and on the topic of the ordinary means. And uh, when I did so, uh, I was uh, I was given free reign what could, what I could talk about, and I started thinking about this issue of the ordinary means being something we do, and how does that relate to the gospel? Uh, how does that relate to trusting Christ? And so I started looking through the confession and the catechisms at every time that phrase, ordinary means, occurs. And I found something really interesting. I was talking to Matt about this earlier. Uh, I found something very interesting, and that is that every time the confession writers use this phrase, ordinary means, they distinguish the ordinary means of grace from obedience, very, they're not very, related for them. For the divines, it was they weren't related items. No, no, they're not. And uh, what I what I'd like to do th- this month is walk through uh, those sections in the catechisms and the confession and talk about that. And what I want to posit, what I this is this is the thesis statement uh, for this series of podcasts, is that the ordinary means of grace. Uh, attending to the preaching of the word, receiving the sacraments, going to the Lord in prayer, are not as much acts of obedience as they are acts of dependence 
on the gospel. What we do when we come to preaching, when we come to the sacraments, when we come to prayer, is we cry out, God, I am dependent on your grace, not in what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, Probably the best place to begin is just to begin going through um, the uh, going through where these phrases uh, come up in the confession and the catechism. And uh, the first one uh, that I've got here on my list, I think Matt, you've got this list in front of you, mm-hmm. uh, is Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter One, Section Seven. And this is talking about. Um, this is talking about the the Bible. Uh, what do we believe the Bible is? What books do we believe in the Bible? What do we believe uh, about the Bible? And uh, we read this. I'm going to go ahead and read this to us. Uh, we read that all things in Scripture are not alike plain unto themselves. In other words, uh, everything in the Bible isn't easily understandable. Uh, I love when the divines do things like this. They just make uh, very salient points. Uh, We all agree, not everything in the Bible is easily understandable. Uh, Continuing, nor alike clear unto all, yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Okay, so let's let's talk about what they're saying there. They're saying that the way uh, we come to an understanding of those things pertaining to salvation is through a due use, that is a, a regular use, of the ordinary means. And that through that, through through just that, through hearing preaching, uh, through taking the sacraments, through praying to God, we will gain a sufficient understanding of those things in Scripture which are necessary to our salvation. Uh, if we want our congregations to be saved... If we want to experience uh, the grace of God in our life, if we want justification and sanctification and ultimately glorification to happen, which which we do, uh, what the framers of the confession said is that we can get those things, we can attain those things through a due use of the ordinary means. Now, it's interesting to tie in here that the, in the larger catechism, the uh, the Westminster divines actually call the ordinary means, they actually call it the ordinary means of salvation. So what's here in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, as a due use of the ordinary means, in the larger catechism becomes the ordinary means of salvation, that we're actually saved through using the ordinary means. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It, and... It, what's what's striking about that, it, having participated in three presbyteries in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, the only given in terms of philosophy of ministry in the confessional standards is this one. 
There's all kinds of things in terms of philosophy of ministry that are not, that are within the bounds of a confessional standard. This is the only one that is bounded confessionally for confessional denomination. Now, the sad part is, hardly any of our presbytery ever asks about that. You and I have talked about this, Sean, even in the presbytery we both used to be in. You know, that this isn't, this isn't the way that guys think about ministry, which is sad, because here God wants to work. Here he wants to attend to the means he's provided and save people and sanctify people, and we're trying to do something that's not nearly as effective at that because we think we're smarter than God is, essentially. Running after whatever the latest methods are, whatever the latest uh, models are for for church, when really, and I, I, I know this is simplistic and you know, we, it's interesting. We haven't really gotten the complaint. Maybe somebody will complain this month that we that we're simplistic in this podcast. But we we really are are saying that there is a simple way to do church. There is, in fact, the book by that title. We should do it as a podcast sometime. Oh, that's Think right. Is that is that Rainier? Uh, it, yeah, it's Tom Rainier, and um, oh, it's the secondary. I think. Um, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, it's over here, but I can't see it. It's too far away. <laughs> Eric Geiger and Tom Rainer. Yeah. Okay. And it's very ordinary means oriented. It's wonderful. We've okay. used it quite a yeah, lot we'll, in our church. We'll, we'll have to take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, this may be a book. This may be a book year. We've got a, a couple books coming up that we're going to uh, review and talk with the authors. So we'll uh, we'll have to keep that one in mind as well. Maybe we can maybe we can get him on the podcast. Oh, that would be great, actually. That'd yeah, cool. I would love. I would love to do. I appreciated so much the. Um, uh, what's that other book by him that we uh, we both used? Oh, surprising insights from the unchurched. Yeah, yeah, Not that was later. a yeah. really really wonderful book. Be- basically, because it affirmed our philosophy of ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like any book that affirms <laughs> well, the way we do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time I the first time um, I saw somebody reading that book. Um, Harry Reader, PC of Costner in Birmingham, said to me, he said, I love that book. I said, why do you love the book? And he says, I love books that confirm my presuppositions. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There if it's true, go. that's all of us, isn't it? We love books that confirm our presuppositions. So really, with the going back to the confession, what the confession is saying is that the ordinary means uh, – Contain within their uh, the the practice of them uh, the power of salvation. Because if what is clearly propounded in Scripture, uh, what is clearly taught in Scripture, is is brought to bear by the work of the Spirit, we're certainly not uh, removing the mystical element here, but is brought to bear by the work of the Spirit in a Christian. As they do these things, uh, then we're saying that that really the ordinary means are are the the power. I don't want to say they are the power of salvation. The gospel, Romans one sixteen, is the power of salvation. But uh, Romans also tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this powerful gospel works itself out through the ordinary means of salvation. That word means is significant. This is the, these are the, the processes. These are the actions by which we uh, grow in, uh, by which we uh, 
cling to our justification by which we uh, grow in our sanctification and by which we hope in our glorification. Uh, so, it, when we're using these, um, what we're seeing is grace acting. God acting through grace because God said, this is the way that I act. This is the w- These are the ways that I've set up. Um, and so, God actually acts through uh, these means. Uh, maybe that becomes a, even a little bit clearer when we look at Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, is on assurance. Uh, particularly, uh, the title of the chapter is Assurance of Grace. Uh, how do we know? You notice that gospel-centeredness of the confession. I think, Matt, this was the thing that struck me as I went through and looked at the use of the ordinary means in the confession was that again and again, it wants us to see that the ordinary means are about salvation, they're about grace, they're not mm-hmm. about a, a legalistic works mentality. Absolutely. Yeah, and even that, that um, the document that you're, that you're working from, from your talk, you highlighted being enabled by the Spirit. Um, you know, I think that that's, to me, as a we, uh, you know, as Reformed people, we don't, generally speaking, have a good doctrine of the Holy Spirit, in a, in, not in the formal sense, but in the sense of, you know, how is God actually working individually in the lives of believers? And I think that this is one of those things where we see, you know, this is the ordinary thing that we do, you know, we preach sermons, and not recognizing that what God's trying to do is in that is individually enable people by the Spirit to know, I'm loved by God. He's adopted me. I'm in his family. I am justified. And it doesn't matter how I've done this week, it's because Christ has done it for me. And God's passionate to do that when we come to a sermon and we hear the gospel, or we come to the table, is God wants to do that individual, Romans 8, work by the Spirit, convincing us that we're in his love. And, God's, and God says, when I'm, uh, he says, the, these are the ways that I work by my spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, Absolutely. And, and so if we choose to, it, that's a key point, because if we choose to work a different way, really what we're saying is, well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interesting, I, I'm interested in transformation in people's lives, but I'm interested in it happening mm, the way I think might work best. And, and the spirit could work through something besides the ordinary means. The reason they're called the ordinary means is that there are also uh, not very ordinary means. Um, God does work through other avenues. Uh, God's right. spirit, you know, God's providence being perhaps the greatest avenue, you know, through relationships, through um, circumstances of our life that God is taking mm-hmm. us through, through our children. Matt, you and I were talking about that this morning, how sanctifying yeah, yeah. kids are, uh, because we see, we see our own sins in them. And so I, right. I would say children are a means of grace, but they're not an ordinary means of grace. Mm. Well, let's, let's read uh, chapter 18, section 3 here, uh, on assurance of grace. It says, This infallible assurance uh, does not belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. In other words, uh, somebody when you become born again, you don't immediately get assurance. Uh, contrary to 
uh, the pattern of some of uh, some of the evangelistic techniques that we've seen in uh, probably the past three decades. Uh, it's not you become born again and immediately you get this. You have to have assurance. You have to know. You can't doubt. Um, rather, the confession writers say no. It, it's, it's, it might take some time, but how does it come about? And that's the next phrase. It says, "How does God convince us that we're one of His?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, the next phrase is yet being enabled by the Spirit, which you just pointed out, uh, to know the things which are freely given Him of God. So that, in other words, His grace, <laughs> His salvation, all the benefits of Christ. Uh, being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given Him of God, He may without extraordinary revelation, in the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. So, we, we don't need a voice from God saying, Matt, you are my child. Uh, individually, apart from the Word, God certainly wants me to hear that message, but it's the how. It's through the Word, it's through the table, it's through the sacraments. Romans it's Scott 10. Clark's book. Yeah. It's Scott Clark's point in that book that we've been that we're both reading, thinking about reviewing here as we move on, is uh, you know that that it's 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 a mediated message, and these are the media of that message. It's and it's it's always the word. It, yeah, it is. It is. It's the spirit working through the word. It's not that it's. You know, I guess the the, the point of debate is not. Is it the Spirit working? It is. We just read it in, in 18.3. But it, it's how is the Spirit going to um, speak to me? How is Christ going to communicate to me the benefits of redemption? Um, it's, it's through those ordinary means. That's how he wants to speak. Hmm. And so he does. When we use him. Yeah. Well, now, notice, if you go on, if you have... Um this is one of those podcasts, we should have said this at the beginning, if you hadn't been run and gotten your confession of faith, or if you haven't brought it up on the internet, uh, this is a good time to do that, because if you look at the, the next sentence then, in chapter 18, section 3, uh, we notice that what's just been talked about is the ordinary means, uh, which are freely given to us by God, it's by grace, it's by the uh, working of the Spirit in us, the, the, chapter 18, section 3, actually distinguishes that, distinguishes the ordinary means from our duties as Christians. The very next sentence reads, and therefore, in other words, because through the ordinary means we have uh, received assurance, we've come to understand the benefits uh, that Christ has given us, and therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, seriously, I, I just have to stop there. The the Westminster divines uh, were no cold um, scholars. I mean, do, do you see yeah. that? It's talking about. The reason that we, we do our duty, the, way, the reason we give diligence to making our calling and election sure is so that our heart may be enlarged in Absolutely. peace, in joy. So there's a, there's a real uh, understanding here that this is something God is doing in the heart, not just in the head. Hmm. 
so thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in love and thankfulness to God, in strength and cheerfulness, and here it is, in the duties of obedience. Mm. The proper fruits of this assurance. So far is it from inclining men to looseness. So in other words, what is that saying? It's saying that the fruit of assurance is good works. No, no question there. Mm-hmm. But how do we come to assurance? Is it by good works that we come to assurance? Or is it by attending to the ordinary means, here's the, here's the phrase, of grace? Mm. Which are, which come to us through the enabling of the Spirit, which are freely given to us by God. It's very interesting that there's this distinction made in the confession between the ordinary means and between duty and obedience. Mm. Mm. Which is wonderful because it, it, you know, here we're all trying to, well, I think we are all trying to figure out, um, you know, how, do, how is it that God uses us as pastors, as elders in the church, um, to see people sanctified, see them grow in their faith. And, and we're scrapping around trying to figure out, you know, people have all this nasty history that they've got. They've got all these problems that they've got. Um, we can't possibly in one sermon, um, you know, figure out how to include all that or whatever. And here God gives us a very easy way, um, which is that he just says, use my means and, and I'll work. And for those of us who've done this, those of us who've been discipled under this kind of, of ministry, those of us who do this kind of ministry, it's amazing what God does in people's lives. Uh, it is. It's wonderful. Can't beat it with a stick. <laughs> no, you can't. Um, Paul, Paul talks about the foolishness of, of preaching. And uh, you, you made reference to this uh, earlier, Matt, uh, that the uh, preaching is, and the ordinary means are things that don't always appeal because they're, they're, there's not that promise that they're going to immediately work in some way. They're, there's not, uh, they really seem sort of uh, blasé. They, they seem sort of like, you know, how is this? How is me just getting up and teaching the Bible every week? How, how is me uh, serving the sacraments uh, regularly, uh, how how is me just going to pray? how is that going to change? You know, praying for my congregation or or me, you know, praying for my family and my friends. How is this going to change anything? Um, but what it what it does, and this goes back to our, our original thesis point here, is it creates a dependence. All of the methods, all of the fads, what they do is they say, "I've got the power." It's 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 in man's capability to uh, to make the church happen, and what God comes back and He says it does is He says, uh, "I don't want you depending on yourself. I, I don't want you trusting in yourself." I just just preached on Psalm forty six this last Sunday. God is our refuge and our strength, and mm. the, the title of my sermon was, "Let God be the tough guy." You know, don't don't you be the tough guy? God is the refuge. The Bible never says my belief in God is is what I hold on to, or I, I hold on to my faith 
in Jesus. No, the Bible always says what you hold on to is Jesus. That God is our refuge. Not just something about him, you know, the, the demons, they believe. And so if, if you believe in God, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that qualifies you to be a demon. <laughs> You've got to move beyond that, right? You've right. got to move to the point of there is a re- an established relationship there where I'm actually clinging to God the way uh, the illustration that I used was the little brother who accidentally uh, uh, loses his toy in midair and it goes and it hits the head of his older sibling. And so his older sibling is chasing him through the house. And finally, this, this younger uh, sibling winds up between the legs of mom clinging to her legs, you know, with a, his head sticking out between her legs. Right. You know, and saying, saying, Neener, Neener, can't get me now. <laughs> that, that's, that's God as a refuge. It's not that, you know, that child says, well, you know, I believe God, I believe mom is a refuge to me. That child actually takes mom as a refuge to him. Right. And that's what we're doing is we're actually taking God himself, his person, his and this is this is key, his righteousness in Jesus Christ is our refuge. That's the gospel. That his righteousness is the thing we're hiding in. It's it's our castle walls. It is our defense. Mm. That's wonderful. And that's and a great so analogy. We can't we can't come to um these things, we can't come to the ordinary means and say, well, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. We've got to come to them and say, oh, I need God. Mm. And these are the ways that I express my dependence on God. Mm. That's great. No, it is, because it, it, I think that it, one of the things that, one of the things that tempts pastors is to try and fix people, um, which is great. I mean, we're at a healing, we do a healing work, Sean, right? No, yeah, oh yeah. But but it, it so much of our attempting to do things is a very independent kind of working. It's a, I think I know how to fix this. When God's given us these things that are, they seem so impractical in our age, you know, people will say, oh, that's so trite when you say, go pray about it, or that you'll pray for me. And we, mm-hmm. we lose that sense. I read somewhat recently a quote by John MacArthur that um, prayer is what moves the sovereign hand of God. That when we lose that linking of prayer and the word and the sacraments to what God sovereignly wants to do in people's lives, and we sort of decide what we think needs to happen in people's lives. Uh, and on what's schedule. And um, I, I love this point that you're making, John, because it, it's it's our expression saying, I am not wise. And even if this seems profoundly unwise to me in my 21st century view, um, I'm taking a trip tomorrow. I'm going to read Technopoly again. Um, you know, if, Great if, book. if Great in my technolo- technological age, in my efficiency-driven age, it seems utterly inefficient to look at the growth of people as 52 nudges from sermons a year. I just I want to grab most of my people and just shake them by the lapels and just say, you need to do this. But that's not what God does. It's not how he changes people. 
He changes people in a way that we can't account to ourselves as us being wise. But instead, it's a labor in prayer for people. And even sometimes, frankly, I'm amazed. Hard people that I think will never get it. And then God moves marvelously in their unbelievably transformed people in a year space of time. And you're like, why did I ever not believe God couldn't do this? Um, it's a radical dependence. And that's why we don't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it says I'm like not that. in control. God is. Exactly. Isn't that sad? But it's true. I'm just being honest. It's true. But it's human nature. Yeah, yeah. Not good. Not, not a good aspect of human nature. No, no, right? no. It's when we say I'm I'm only human. We should we should uh, repent of that. <laughs> we should uh, we should hate the fact that we're only human. Um, the, in the sense of sinfulness. In yes. the sense of sinfulness. Yes. We we had to kneel at our creatureliness, but that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. I'm I'm reminded. You mentioned the John MacArthur quote on prayer. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis. Uh, when he said, I, I don't pray to change God, uh, I pray because it changes me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that, that is so true. I think, I think that quote really revolutionized my own personal prayer life because I realized that a lot of what God is doing when I'm praying is making me listen to myself and seeing how silly I am. And yeah. by his spirit opening my eyes to see that there is wisdom greater than my wisdom. Mm. And and in that way, prayer is an act of dependence. We mm. we don't pray. And I think this is, if, if you look at your life and you say, I'm not praying as I'd like to, I think the, the answer to it, or at least the reason for it, will nine times out of ten be because I'm not dependent? Because Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Here, here's what God's been teaching me about prayer, just personally, me as a believer and as a pastor. If I go into anything that I do, whether it's play racquetball with my friends who are mostly pagans, if I go into uh, a social lunch with one of the guys in the church where we're just kind of catching up, if I go into a staff meeting where I'm going to go from this phone call and it's not with prayer, if I go into, of course, writing a sermon. So nobody would write a sermon without prayer, would they? Um, but, you know, no, so never, many of the, never. What's that? No, never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and not unless you're foolish. Um, but, it, it, but there are some things that it sort of, we sort of naturally go, of course, if I'm going to have a sermon that's going, to, that's going to help somebody, I need to pray. Or if I'm going into a really tough counseling situation, boy, I really better pray. But it, it's those times when I don't think I need to pray that get me. Because what I sense in myself is, you know, God, you, you really don't have to busy yourself here. I, I got this one covered. Hmm. And for somebody who's work those are famous is last nearly words. universally in the spiritual realm. John fifteen five tells me, um, apart from me you can do nothing. That doesn't mean I can't mechanically go out and do things. It's that I can't have a spiritual effect by myself. Well there's no power. Right. You we're when we do it we when we do it ourselves, we're, we're disconnected. Right. Um yeah, absolutely. 
So I, I think that, that you're, you're absolutely right, is that when we choose to use what appears to us to be foolish means, when we choose to rely only on God working through the means he's ordained, we are expressing our utter dependence, our lack of wisdom, and our willingness to use what, what may well seem foolish to the world, certainly, and sometimes, frankly, to us. 52 nudges a year to transform people's lives. <laughs> I, can, I can read it as a book. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. we've got, we mentioned earlier Larger Catechism 63, uh, and really that is where the ordinary means are referred to as the ordinary means of salvation, which is a significant mm. phrase because it, it says, yeah, it says this is how I save you. <laughs> Uh, you know, that, it's right there on our website that, uh, th- you know, this is how God uh, saves, uh, sanctifies, uh, this is how God seals us, is through his ordinary means of grace. It's how he marks us as, as his own. Which is, is wonderful that that's what God wants to do through them. Um, isn't that what we want for our people? We want them to have a real sense that, that God loves me, He cares about me, Christ is for me, um, God is my Father. Um, don't, we, don't we want that sense that I'm under God's special care and government, protected, preserved by Him, enjoying Him, enjoying the saints of God? And the way God wants to do all of that is through these simple means. It seems to me it's exactly what we want to see happen in our people. God wants to do through the means, and yet so often they're divorced. It's not the way we think about it. Yeah. Well, one other uh, one other item from the uh, the confession, uh, well, actually from the catechisms, and then we'll close out for this month, uh, and that is shorter catechism uh, eighty eight, which actually says the same thing as larger catechism one fifty four. And the question is, it's a question and answer of the catechisms, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? In other words, how does Christ uh, make the benefits of redemption ours? How does he, because communicateth doesn't just mean tell us about them, it means how does he make them effectual in mm-hmm. us? How do they become real to us, actualized yeah, in our lives? How, how do they become ours? Right. And the answer is, the outward and ordinary means, there's that, there's that phrase, mm-hmm. uh, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all, of, all which are made effectual to the elect for, get this, their salvation. So the the effects of salvation come to us uh, according to the framers of the confession, uh, and certainly they are they are echoing uh, the words of Scripture, Romans ten that we talked about earlier. That uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Um, these things come to us through His ordinances. Now, notice there who it is that's doing it. Because I think this is, again, important in separating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the ordinary right, means yeah. from our duties. When it's our duties, mm-hmm. it's us doing it by grace. But here, it's how does Christ communicate? 
you know, so it's, it's God doing it. The word, the pre- preaching is not me speaking, it's God speaking. Yes. You know, baptism is not me, the, the pastor signing and sealing, it's God signing and sealing. Mm-hmm. The Lord's Supper yep. is not, you know, me feeding them, it's God feeding them. Uh, so all of these things, when we come to the ordinary means, are acts of dependence. We right. can't take credit for them. Mm-hmm. Can I go? Uh, can I do a little soapbox here for a second? Oh, absolutely. Perhaps, perhaps close to a rant, maybe <laughs> a diatribe. Um, we recently, Sean, I think you'll probably remember this. In Pittsburgh, when I was in Pittsburgh, uh, in the same Presbyterian as Sean, we did a radio ad campaign there. And uh, several of the churches contributed to it, and, and the Lord really used it. We used, basically, we did a radio ad um, for the one minute before renewing your mind, and said, "It's you guys talking in a coffee shop." And um, you know, one guy saying, "Don't you love how our Swiss Pearl teaches? Don't you wish church was like this?" And the other guy says, um, "Yeah, I mean, my church is like this. What are you talking about?" And then it goes, sort of goes on as an advertisement for teaching churches in the area. And um, we're doing that same radio ad campaign here the first six weeks of next year. And it was interesting, the response that I got from different churches in my presbytery. Hmm. We're linking the ad out here. Uh, Alistair Begg's really popular. And uh, we're linking the ad with Alistair Begg, who's an exceptionally good preacher. Oh, yes. Um, very, you know, uh, very sensitive to modern issues, very from the text, expositional. I mean, the kind of preaching I thought anybody would love to put their name to. Hmm. And then the response from churches who have the means to, you know, fork up 200 bucks for an ad, not very much money, um, has been blasé. And it struck me, maybe some of my brothers here in our presbytery will be offended, I'm not mentioning any names, but um, (laughs) it struck me... We know where you live. Yeah, you know where I live, but it struck me that... um, Why would somebody... And one of my elders asked this, why would somebody not be excited about pitching their church as a teaching church, as a church of the Word. And it strikes me that perhaps, I could be wrong, perhaps it's because they don't view um, the converting of sinners and the sanctifying of saints through the lens of the ordinary means. Because Alistair Begg is certainly one who believes in the ordinary means. And that's why, precisely why I'm attracted to tagging my church and our ministry to it. And it's a mystery to me that somebody wouldn't want to pitch their church that way. Now, is it, do you think that in some cases it's simply people don't feel like advertising works? Um, the, 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 it, it may be. It may be. They may be wait and see. But I've, but I've experienced other people in our, in our denomination who would say, you know, I know it, as pastors, you know, my greatest gifts are really not in preaching, so I really don't structure the church that way. Hmm. And that, uh, frankly, that frustrates me. And maybe it's just the, frustrated of, the frustration of somebody who um, God's gifted in that way. And that's what I love to do, and it's what I do, and God's used it over the years in the different ministries that I've had. So maybe I'm just prejudiced because God's gifted me in that way. But as far as I can tell... The gifting to be a pastor primarily is as a pastor teacher, um, as people who are who view those 52 nudges a year as the 52 most important things I do in the course of a year. That's my fear. 
that we don't think about ministry that way, that we don't organize our schedules that way and prioritize our lives that way, that the 52 most important things I can do in a year is nudge people with the Word of God in the atmosphere of prayer, with the sacraments, that God is moving them along from unbeliever to believer or as a believer towards maturity. Uh, can I can I take what you just said, and I want to take it two directions. The sure. first, uh, real, real simply, is I want to say, you know, th- this should be impetus for the believer to be in church yeah. all those fifty-two times a year. Yep. Okay, that's I think that's the first thing that I want to say. The second thing is I want to say, uh, by way of encouragement to pastors who are listening, is. You know, when we say this is the most important thing you do, we do not, by the ordinary means, want to put this burden on you as if you are now responsible because you are the administrator of the ordinary means. You are now responsible for their salvation. Uh, the, The ordinary means need to be as much an act of dependence for you, the pastor, Absolutely. As they are. In fact, if they're not an act of dependence for you, the pastor, they're, they're, it's not going to, to rub off on the congregation mm. in, that, in that way. I'm, I'm continually struck, and it's the longer you stay in ministry in one place, the more you see it, and it, it frightens me to death when people come up to me or they, I hear people talking and they say something the way I'd say it. And I think, oh... Save them, Lord. I'm rubbing off on them. <laughs> uh, forgive me for all the wrong ways. You know, it's like it's like with our children. We rub off on them. They they become little us. Uh, in the same way, if we want we want our, that we want our kids to pick up the good habits, we want our congregation to pick up this concept um, and really this experience of of dependence. Dependence on the grace of God in everything exhibited through an active use of the ordinary means. Mm, absolutely. Well, Matt, that's, let's. That's uh, what we're about. Yeah, that's that's why we're here. That's right. that's why we're pastoring. Um, well, let's uh, let's close that out there. Uh, we've got a lot more to talk about on this issue of the relationship between the gospel and the ordinary means. We've we've sort of laid the framework this month, and what we'll do is next month we're going to come back and begin to unpack some of the practical implications, uh, begin to look at some of the scripture that really backs up this idea, and uh, I look forward to doing that. Um, so we will come back and do that next month, but until then, uh, may the Lord richly bless you as you pursue him through his ordinary means.